Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. Well, I jinxed us, everybody. Welcome back to the Rooster Road Trip. As we closed out the last episode of Rooster Road Trip from North Dakota, I said the only thing bad about the first couple of days in North Dakota was the the, the, the darn weather was just getting a little too warm. Be careful what you ask for, Bob. (laughs) Well, (laughs) that uh, turned on us quickly. Things got wet and cold and windy and really, really wet as we moved um, to, let's see, how would you describe this? Northeastern South Dakota. That's a lot of directions, but that makes sense, right? Northeastern South Dakota. Uh, Moved there and started hunting Aberdeen Pheasant Coalition properties. And um, and then the second part of this episode, we moved a little bit farther to the east and hunted um, game production areas featuring the Terry Redland game production area. So we got an action-packed, some good, some highs, some lows, but a lot of fun conversation coming at you. Andrew Vavra, Director of Marketing and the quarterback of Rooster Road Trip, returns and uh, also returning to the podcast. It's been two years, we determined, right, Jake? Two years. Two years. Uh, Jake Hansen, uh, newly minted. I think I can still say new, right? You're, yeah, you've been in... I'm still in my rookie year rookie here. Rookie year. Uh, regional... Uh, representative for Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever in the state of South Dakota, although we don't have any Quail Forever chapters in South Dakota. We don't. But, um, uh, yeah, you, you've been on as a regional rep for how many months now? I'm going on my fifth month. I started in July. Okay. So, we're co- yeah, pretty close. Okay. Between four and so five. So you're definitely in your rookie year. Yeah. <laughs> but you were you were on a podcast two years ago at the Terry Redland Art Center uh, with with our friend uh, Julie Ranham and Erica um, Erica Hill joining us for um, uh, discussion about Terry Redland. So that that will come for cir- full circle as part of this episode. But let's start let's start with the weather change, Andrew. Uh, tell us about how bad the weather got. It's not very often that you can be out in the in like the middle of pheasant country, like prime time South Dakota, and just wondered yourself, what am I doing out here? <laughs> like, it was it was just a little bit silly. Um, no, it was high thirties, low forties, uh, pers- like just persistent rain, and then high winds. And we we gave it our all, like we really did try. <laughs> and, and for folks that are listening, you say high thirties, low uh, low. 40s or low 30s to into the 40s it probably doesn't sound all that bad but it you know i know folks are going to watch the video and it's going to be hard to translate just how miserable that was because it it started off you know the first two fields so so we were 
adamant about hunting Aberdeen Pheasant Coalition properties. We've talked about them in the journal. We talked about them a little bit on podcasts in the past, and, and this was supposed to be one of the highlights of this trip. Um, and the land in the property is, but the weather, so the, the weather when we got up was, was probably, let's say, 38, 39, and in raining, right, pretty steadily, and the wind was about 15. And we hit that first field, and it's like, okay, this isn't it's not, ideal. It's not too bad. Like, once you're out in it, it wasn't too, va- too and, bad. We and this will hands. pass, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. This, this will be, if this is all it is all day, we're, we're fine. We'll, we'll suck it up and, and make our way through it, knock down some birds, and somehow have a good time. And, and that carried us through the first field because it really wasn't horrible. And that carried us into the second field. And that wasn't all that horrible either. And honestly, it looked like it was it was terrific ha- habitat, but it was really primarily grassy, and it, the birds just they they were either not where we were or they were holding unbelievably tight. But we weren't we just weren't putting birds up um, while we were trying to stay you know remotely comfortable well at that point the rain was more of like a pelting rain so it's more like <laughs> ouch <laughs> like, yeah my face why does my face hurt it <laughs> did get aggressive a little and, sleet i think it, well and and by the third field i felt unsafe yeah. <laughs> you know? we look at the, our dogs and they're just like they still want to hunt but they just can't control themselves they're sitting there shivering to produce what what heat they can and you're it's almost di- you think it almost might be dangerous for them. I'm sure maybe it wasn't quite that cold, but it just they looked miserable, and we were miserable. And I think the line you used was, "I've never been this wet while wearing clothes." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, I did, I did say that, and it was true because my underwear were very wet, <laughs> um, it, and it, it was more. I mean, it got colder, right? Because it was down to the 33 degree mark about 50 miles to the west of us it was snow the wind temperature had picked up to about 25 with gusts i you know i'm not a meteorologist but but they were uncomfortable gusts Mm -hmm. and that third field you know we we got the dogs geared up collars on and you know i was pretty miserable at the back of my truck saying oh boy this is gonna be a tough one and by the time we got to, through the first push, you know, we we're like, okay, let's not wait around. Let's just, you know, hightail it around this mm-hmm. slough because we hunted a cattail slough and, and zipped back. And it was, there wasn't even a discussion. It was like this, this we got to bag it. Because one thing that was ringing in my ear, and we talked about the gentleman in North Dakota in the parking lot uh, from Washington. Uh, and it, remember this guy from the first podcast. And one thing he said to me uh, as we were leaving North Dakota, he's like, you guys, make sure you make this fun for everybody. Uh, everybody listening and everybody watching, make sure you make this fun. After the third field, <laughs> I was like, I'm, we're, you know, we're not really, we're struggling to live up to, to this PF member from Washington's guidance here. This is, this is tough, tough, mm-hmm. tough weather. And it's a shame because it really is Aberdeen Pheasant Coalition and the habitat and the the concept here um, 
it is incredible. It's really deserving of uh, the glory and, and all the honors that it's been recognized with. It was the 2017 Outdoor Life Open Country Award winner. I mean, the single best concept in the country in 2017 for conservation. And, you know, that concept. So so let's explain the concept, what, what the Aberdeen Pheasant mm-hmm. Coalition is first. So it's Brown County um, in South Dakota. And, and so the Aberdeen area. And back in 2010, the county of Aberdeen generated, in their estimates, estimates $17 million in revenue related to pheasant hunting tourism in that county. So hotels, restaurants, gas stations. Um, bird numbers, as you might remember in 2010, were pretty decent, right? And, and CRP acres were pretty decent. Well, by 2013, habitat acres had taken a tumble and bird numbers have taken a pretty good tumble. And they went down, um, they, their estimate for economic impact went down to $8.7 million. So a drop in a three-year span, three years, to, of $8.3 million drop. So if Aberdeen, the business community, community, Brown County chapter of Pheasants Forever, um, got together and said, access and habitat, those are the two things that generate the, or drive the economy in the fall into the winter in South Dakota. Let's do something about it. And from that concept spawned the Aberdeen Pheasant Coalition, where they added dollars into CRP payments and access payments to incentivize additional acres to get enrolled. And you, when you drive around Brown County, you see these turquoise-colored signs um, and there's, I believe there's up to 27 different sites. There's 4,000 acres enrolled in the county. And this is beyond walk-in acres, game production acres, so state-owned, what, what a lot of us are known as WMAs, GPAs are the name in South Dakota. It's beyond waterfall production acres. It's brand new 4,000 acres added in through this community of folks that believe like hey let's drive Mm -hmm. let's drive acres let's drive bird numbers and from that concept chamberlain jumped on board and they've got 2500 acres um enrolled in in their community and mitchell also um i think they were the second community to Mm -hmm. to jump onto this concept and they they've got 1500 acres enrolled so it's you can see it's everything that at Pheasants Forever, like we, we sort of dream about and aspire where the business world, the mm-hmm. culture of a community intersects with the understanding of pheasant hunting and, and good habitat lead to lots of good things for the community. And Aberdeen is where it sort of um, all gelled and, and exploded. And then rain came. <laughs> so it made it a little bit more of a challenge for us. But, I, you know, I can speak firsthand, whether it's me, um, members of our uh, marketing communications team, uh, relatives, um, employees, friends. When people ask, hey, where, where should I go in South Dakota for a public land bird hunt? The first community that pops to my head is Aberdeen, is Brown County, because get out your favorite 
um, atlas to look for public lands in Brown County is littered with, in a good way, uh, public land opportunities. And, um, you know, so it's, it's really a gem in the state of South Dakota and in Brown County, uh, rightfully should be very proud of that. Uh, you work with that, the Brown County chapter, Jay, they just had their banquet, didn't they? Yeah, they did a fall, what they call a fall shootout event. And so they host their, their big annual banquet in the springtime. Okay. This is a way that they can engage those out-of-state hunters that come year after year to that Aberdeen area with a great event. It was a great success. Their president uh, texted late that evening, excited about it. Um, but what I love about those coalitions is that those uh, convention and visitor bureaus drive area businesses to contribute to this. So those area businesses realize the importance of their local economies on hunters. Yeah. Um, it's dependent on hunters. And they've said, we need to embrace this. We need to support this. Um, and it's and it's catching on. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see if, you know, we talk about this 10 years from now, if there's a Watertown you know, coalition, if there's, you know, a peer coalition, I, I think it's going to become bigger. Well, in Marshall, right, and Dickinson County, Iowa, and, you know, Quad City, and where where else can it expand? Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned some other communities in South Dakota, and, and word is just now starting to get out um, that um, state of South Dakota and Pheasants Forever are going to uh, put a challenge together for to raise $250,000 and open up acres statewide under, mm-hmm. underneath this concept. And, and I know that there's community in Iowa that's talking about doing it as well. So um, it, is, uh, it, it is something that we all sort of aspire to where the business community sees the value that hunting related tourism as a result of quality habitat and access results in something where everybody in a community can get around and their their arms and um, their pocketbook around it mm-hmm. I want to just take a moment and thank our on the wing sponsor South Dakota tourism in South Dakota game fish and parks there's still time to plan your South Dakota adventure in pheasant hunting heaven. Find places to stay and season information at huntthegreatest.com. So as we transitioned to the second leg of the South Dakota trip, um, Andrew, you thought about, okay, what's, what's more South Dakota than Terry Redland? And, you know, we've talked about it on previous podcasts. There's probably uh, very few people in their lifetime that could have, that could claim to have done more for conservation through fundraising than Terry Redland. When you put all of his artwork together through organizations like Pheasants Forever and Ducks Unlimited and Delta Waterfall and all the funds that that generated um, for waterfall habitat for upland habitat it's pretty darn impressive i mean it's it's gotta approach the billions with the b yeah i wasn't gonna put out a number but when so jake was the one who brought up this this concept and that was something we instantly started talking about i was like man wouldn't it be cool to be able to like actually quantify 
how many dollars have gone to conservation just due to his paintings being auctioned off and mm-hmm. a part of various groups con- like banquets every year. Um, and then he mentioned that there happens to be a, a complex of land that looks like it came straight out of a Terry Redland painting <laughs> itself. And it's like, well, I'm sold. Let, we're, let's do that for sure. And um, it, Jake was right. Like this has been one of the more picturesque kind of pheasant country, pheasant you know, country postcard settings I've, I've really ever mm. hunted through. And it's sprawling scenery, hardwoods, beautiful grass, food plots, lakes in the background. It's really, when you think of the idyllic like mm. pheasant scene and everything that it encapsulates, it's all here. And that's what we've been walking through all day. And it's just been fantastic. And plus, it wasn't raining. <laughs> it, was, it was probably optimum weather today. You know, it was started off like 33 but sun is shining and i think throughout the day it was probably mid 40s light breeze and as you you mentioned it's it leaps off the canvas of life like a terry redland painting there's long lake a great mm-hmm. big lake um that i'm told holds a few walleyes and some waterfall um there's as you mentioned groves of trees it's beautifully managed i think the jake there's three different gpas that make up this complex yeah right? you bet so kind of in the center of all of this public land uh is long lake and on the east side of this lake is the terry redland game production area and there's two other game production areas on the west side so we've visited all three today mm-hmm and there's a there's a place I believe it was on that second location the the official Long Lake game production area where there's a hill that then overlooks the lake and do you guys know the best friends painting mm-hmm. that Redland has it's a it's a guy in his lab and they're sitting yeah. and looking over this lake and they're glassing through binoculars and I can't I I can't believe there there are, I mean I I want to th- believe that that came from that scene mm-hmm. right over there um it, that hung in my office for a few years, and that's my favorite painting by Terry Redland. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Well, you, the thing is, you can s- sort of stop and appreciate many different hillsides yeah. on this property. It's like, I wonder right. if that one, you know, that painting was captured here. Because it is, it is a rolling complex of, you know, it's 4,000 acres combined. Um, of three different complexes. And I was talking with Matt Morlock, who's our state coordinator for South Dakota, last evening. Um, and he, he regrets not being able to join us, but he told me a story about his dad being the game warden out here in the uh, late 80s and early 90s. And he, he, he didn't recall the exact date that this was dedicated, the Terry Redland GPA, but he thought it was 1991. And the reason he thought it was 1991 because he was a little a, a little guy driving around with his dad, who was the game warden in the evenings, and checking out the wildlife and checking hunters and talking to hunters. And he remembered very vividly driving around, listening to Twins games. <laughs> I knew this was going to come back to baseball. Yeah. I, just, I, I didn't have this sense. <laughs> yeah, and he's like, yeah, and he starts chuckling. The twins were good that year, Bob, because I remember. 91. Yeah. I remember 91, and we're driving around. With my dad, listening to Twins games, checking out all those uh, beautiful uh, features of the Terry Redland game production area and, and the other two mm-hmm. that, that have been on this property 
Um, he, he thinks it, it got started in the 70s. So it's been a pro- complex that it's been building. The other thing that Matt mentioned is there's a private landowner who owns an additional um, 4,000 acres next to this who happens to be a Pheasants Forever uh, gold patron member and does a tremendous amount of habitat work. Um, so if you think about that public-private combo, you know, we like to say that... Um, you know, the habitat work and the wildlife that are the result of it, they don't care about dotted lines on a map so that, you know, there's a, there's a private landowner here that believes wholeheartedly in the Pheasants Forever mission and is doing tremendous habitat work and, you know, waterfall and mm-hmm. bucks and, and roosters are making their way back and forth around, um, around this property. And it is, it is a really, really magnificent testament to, to Terry Redland, who was born and raised in Watertown, um, went to St. Paul for a brief period to be a graphic designer, and then came back to Watertown. And um, there's just an amazing um, art museum, which we've recorded a couple of podcasts mm-hmm. from, uh, right in down um, Highway 12, 212, right? Is it 12? No, uh, it's 12. 12. That's, that's 212 no, and, and I-29. Yep. yep. So it's, um, um, and, and they have a really cool giveaway for, for hunters who stop in. So um, definitely check out the, the museum if you're coming through the, this hunting season. So without further ado, we should talk about today's hunting uh, adventure because it was, it was beautiful out. Um, we, let's see, we started, we hit all three different game production areas and we started parking next to that lake and we cut across some amazing blue stem grass on a beeline towards a food plot and if I recall the story correctly Jake that was a pretty special spot for you too personally right yeah you know we when we moved to Watertown my dog had just finished uh training and it was one of my first seasons learning how to hunt mm. um, because I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up pheasant hunting. I, I didn't grow up upland hunting, and so I think we've talked about this, Bob, a couple of times. But I consider myself an adult onset hunter. Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny how things in my pheasants forever affiliation and career keep coming back to Terry Redland because <laughs> it was listening to your first recording on the Terry Redland or on this podcast recorded at Terry Redland uh, Museum that I reached out to Erica, the regional rep at the time, and said, I'd like to get involved. How can I get involved? Mm -hmm. Which then led to starting a chapter uh, and which led to us recording the second podcast at the Terry Redland Museum. And at about the same time, I'm learning how to hunt on the Terry Redland game production (laughs) area. Is there a Terry Redland painting... uh on your body somewhere right no. now? No. Like, is a tattoo? I noticed you I had do, a tattoo. Is I that do a have quite the extensive tattoo, but it's that could be, I still have a little bit of uh, uninked skin going on here, so <laughs> you never know. Let's check in in another two years. Um, yeah, it was it was a place where I learned on my own with my dog, mm-hmm. you know, just some tips and tricks and best practices that I keep in my pocketbook of you know, how to have a successful upland hunt. And sometimes that the successful upland hunt ends up with just a wonderful day mm-hmm. 
chasing my dog around and sometimes it ends up with a limit of roosters and there's no place in this entire state that I've harvested more roosters than in this complex of game production areas. I've spent a lot of time here uh, in all sorts of weather conditions. Today was one of the nicest days. Mm -hmm. um, and I think every stretch of grass, I mean, e almost every food plot that we walked today, and um, Andrew can share more about that too, but we found birds. Yeah, we saw birds everywhere we went. Mm -hmm. um, in that first field, although I remember when we first got in there and I, I saw it was a, a sorghum food plot. It was like mm -hmm. a little skinny row that kind of went around the edge. I was like, ooh, what a treat. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, yeah. I, I can get in on this. And sure enough, you know, we kicked out a couple of birds out of the end of that, as you'd predict. And then we saw one rooster kind of sail way down into the grass and uh, we, we, we turned towards it. And again, we're walking through beautiful blue stem. And sure enough, about almost 45 minutes later, we, we found that rooster. We weren't able to uh, put it in the game bag, but but we definitely scared it pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I I had the shot and I dropped it. I I, I dropped a wing, and unfortunately, um, we weren't able to recover that particular bird. Dogs made a valiant effort, but as as bird hunters know, sometimes that happens, and you feel absolutely crummy about it. Um, and sometimes, you know, where where it becomes really difficult is that bird dropped on the edge of a corn food plot beyond the the um, the sorghum. And once they get to that corn row, and it's just dirt, and they're not really leaving a lot of scent in the grass. Um, I'm pretty proud of my pups, but uh, they they couldn't couldn't track that one down. And it, it, when when we got back together as a group. Um, Jake's like, yeah, same thing happened right here a year ago, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so maybe it's the same one that just has nine lives. Yeah. I'd, I'd like to hope, but it, it, I certainly feel crummy, as everybody does. That's part of um, hunting and part of the reason you work so hard to train your dog so you, you do recover um, everything. And um, that's one we didn't, um, but we moved on. And... Um, um, we put up, we continue to put up hens and I don't recall us putting up many more roosters. You can tell that this is a well-loved spot in a variety of ways, right? It, it is expertly managed by the state here because mm -hmm. it is, it's, it, you can tell they're, they've done prescribed burns. They've done some different interceedings. It looks like there's a cover crop field right beyond us. Um, lots of food plots, corn food plots, sorghum food plots, mm -hmm. there's shelter belts. Um, so well-loved from a habitat perspective. It's also well-loved by hunters. Yeah, we saw uh, plenty of people today. They were banging away in every direction. Yep. Uh, but that first field, you know, we've put up probably 11, 12 birds, which for one walk, that's phenomenal. You know, mm -hmm. Jake kind of looked at me and goes, how are you feeling? Like, you think we're doing okay? I'm like... Yeah, it's 45 degrees, sunny, light wind. We're putting up birds. This is a great day. Yeah. Um, and from there, we went to another GPA on the other side of Long Lake. And um, the starting there, like the, where you, where we parked, was up on a ridge. You could see down to the lake. It was just beautiful grass. Again, it was just a, hmm. a scene right out of a Terry Redland <laughs> painting. Um, and it this was, was probably my, my favorite walk of the day hmm. because we eventually cut through some grass and made our way along, you know, I think a smaller body of water. And then we kind of hit this chute. 
and it was like this shoot of waist high grass um, with trees on both sides. And that kind of forced all of us kind of a little closer. <laughs> and this isn't a joke on Bob, just kind of peeling away. I stayed together <laughs> the no, whole no, time no, today. It was, it, was, it was great. That's not where I was going. But all of our dogs mm. were just crisscrossing at mm, like the yeah. optimal distance away. And, you know, Jake High made this co- comment. He's like, it's kind of like you can just kind of like see shadows in the grass. Mm. It, was, it was almost like seeing like a, a shark underwater. You see mm. this shadow just zipping back and forth, but you had four dogs all doing yeah. it in unison. And because they kind of had the sideboards up, yeah. you know, like there was no dog just peeling out or doing something crazy. And the so, like, bumpers it was, in a bowling lane. Yeah, exactly. Right? So <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was kind of fun just to like see that for a while. And sure enough, towards the end of it, you know, the, the shadows converged into a, a black hole, if you will, and then a bird got up, mm. and uh, we scared that one, too. <laughs> <laughs> that one was not harmed in the making of this rooster yeah. road trip film. Nope, nope. So we know there's still one more rooster out here. Oh, there's more than one. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yep, so we, we, le- we, left, we left that one for seed, um, so that one's still out there somewhere, and then uh, we, we took a hard turn around mm. a, a tree row and, and walked some a little sparser grass, again, with a good view, and hit another food plot because when in Rome, why not? I'm not just going to walk past it. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and that leads to, I don't remember if you said it or maybe it was Logan. And, and, and Logan's shooting the hell out of that Browning Maxis, by the way, which we'll get to in a moment. Yeah, he likes that gun. He Is that the giveaway gun? It is. Yeah. Oh, boy. I hope he doesn't shoot up all the roosters out of that because <laughs> he is on fire with that firearm. Um, but as... as uh, before we get to the next piece, you know, we had somebody had mentioned, boy, it was just such a crummy day yesterday that the birds were probably hunkered in the cattails, just trying to st- stay dry. And I think this was Logan. He's like, I bet you they got the feed bag on today. It's beautiful out. They're sitting in a cornfield or in a food plot, just gorging themselves on sorghum. And, you know, no sooner than Logan said that, we came to a sorghum food plot and chaos broke out because mm-hmm. you were on the far right. Yeah. The, the second we got to that, that sorghum food plot, I kind of saw one squeeze out the back. So I kind of trotted up and, and out. I did my, my duty as a South Dakotan blocker slash wing. You know, you're not hunting in South Dakota if you're if you don't see someone blocking. Um, <laughs> but, we did make that mistake a, a couple times where mm-hmm. yep. you, you were right to to get up there and block because we. I, I'm not used to hunting food plots. Are no, you? no, we we don't do it quite often. That's why it's kind of a treat. That's why it's a novelty. It's it's fun, um, and the state does a great job of mm. providing them. So why not take advantage of it? So I, I hustled up there and. Then uh, another rooster got up, kind of squeezed out to the side. Mm-hmm. I don't think you shot at that one. I didn't. And then Logan said he had one flush at him. He thinks I like may have like spooked one in the back, and because he, he had one screaming right towards him, right. which gave him a funny shot. So they were they were probably like as you mentioned, lanes of a bowling alley. The sor- the food plots because it was low sorghum, and then I honestly don't know what the the food plot is as tall i, I like, want to say it's like Milo. nine it's like nine feet tall it's though. taller and then there's sequences of all these in probably seven strips mm-hmm. so logan's running down one strip i'm running down another one um and and on the jake's running down another one and then andrew's off on the far wing and logan said 
and none of us saw this um, bird coming right at his head, direct, like, at him. And, you know, one thing that is a challenge with Rooster Road Trip is there's a lot of people, including cameras, which the viewer doesn't see, and trying to just always be cognizant of not only the hunters, but the cameras. So Logan had a split-second shot straight on, and then no shot because the, the camera was right in the way and the bird escaped thankfully two more roosters wanted to play ball what do you think jake 20 yards uh, ahead of that well those food plots are so well managed that they i mean they're incredibly healthy Mm -hmm. and um those birds held pretty tight in a food plot yeah they were holding tight two more so it was pretty thick um sorghum and I was surprised how tight they held, even mm-hmm. after we had, you know, three or, or four bail out. Um, and so it wasn't too far after that that all of a sudden one got up and it was instant. That Logan was, was a quick draw. A quick. Well, that one, he was in his lane and he dropped it very quickly. And then another bird squirted out and flew behind him. And he had one shot there. And then I had... A camera. I had our other camera guy um, in in between my shots, so I never got a shot at that bird. Um, but it, like you say, it was remarkable because anybody that's hunted food plots before knows it's a track meet most of the time, and and it happened at the end of the day where you know birds were blown out by the dozen. Um, you know. 300 200 yards before we even got there these two birds held super tight not not for points logan had a lab in front of them uh, aspen who put the birds up and and um but uh they held tight enough to get really really nice shots so that put us on the board so it, 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 it took us it, it felt little, good it, it felt really good it took us a little while to uh, get our first south dakota there's <laughs> there's the pressure right i mean oh absolutely so i know i feel it and i know you feel it mm-hmm. in terms of because there's a i don't know if it's perception or the pressure we put on ourselves that like who are these joe schmoes think that they can go out and film and, and shoot birds on public land and when things don't cooperate, whether that's you make a miss, a, a bad shot, or you cripple a bird and you can't bring it to hand, or you just flat out miss, which sometimes happens, um, or you know it's it's raining and gusting and it's just tough, you know the pressure mounts and you want to prove what you set out to do, which was public land can produce birds. You just gotta. You know, sometimes things have to work in your favor, too. Yeah, I mean, that's the important qualifier there. It's it's not an ego thing. It's not like a personal, like, oh, people are going to think I'm an idiot if I, if I can't shoot a pheasant in South Dakota. But it's it's a story and a narrative thing. Because for me, personally, that's what I'm always worried about. This isn't a hunting trip for me. Like, mm-hmm. yes, we're out here hunting, but there there are specific stories and narratives that we want to uh, get out there to other folks because we hunt the Dakotas quite a bit. We know how good it is. We know how much access and opportunity there is, and we want to do a good job of showing that. Well, so, like even yesterday during the rainstorm, you know, our 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 video guys Aaron and Hunter, they were just running around with GoPros. Mm-hmm. That those like that's not the normal cameras we're using throughout the norm like the trip the rest of the time. We're shooting on DSLRs. So even in 
our footage from yesterday, it's going to look way off. The story's going to mm-hmm. be a little wacky. No one's like mic'd up. So in the back of my mind, it's like, man, not only is this cruddy, but we're not going to be able to tell the story. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to us getting our first South Dakota rooster, it's like this real Lisa anxiety of like, not like an ego, like, oh, we got our rooster. But it's like, okay, see, they are out here. Yeah. Anybody <laughs> can do this because we do not take ourselves seriously. And so we know people are going to watch this. And if somebody sees us struggle busting our way through South Dakota, <laughs> then it's just kind of like, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> I, and I had to, um, the Washington PF guy, these voice in the back of my mind the, the last couple of days always you know he you know here's here's a guy who's 80 right and and he's like you know make it make it look fun because there's not as many people doing this anymore he's i don't know his personal story if he has kids family but he's 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 worried about the next generation you know and and getting people energized and it isn't about bringing a bird to hand that makes it fun but it, it, trying to demonstrate on video, like the Terry Redlin qualities, yeah, uh, it's, it's a challenge, right? Yeah, and that's a, that's a really good point because for our third walk, I'm looking at my watch and it's only five o'clock, mm-hmm. but I'm already kind of hinting at the group, like <laughs> hinting. Maybe maybe we shouldn't hunt another field. Yeah. Like I would love to get these birds in a frying pan. Let's do mm-hmm. a tailgate session, have mm-hmm. a good meal, kind of show that fun aspect of this. And so we, we compromised. We went down the street and, and then blew through a couple more food plots. But now here we are sitting in the parking lot of a GP of a GPA. You now the rest of the crew they're they're they've cleaned the birds and we've got the the camp chef two burner going in the background mm-hmm. and like this is kind of the vibe that like i really wanted to show because like mm-hmm. it makes you want to be there it's like go get your friends go get your dog like go have some fun right, right. And, and that's what i want to make sure that we're showing <laughs> and i i've raced through the beginning and i don't think i ever set the, up the fact that we are once again recording outside in front of the monument of well, one of the three GPAs. Um, I'm getting chilled. <laughs> uh, right? Are you? Yeah, the temperature I, 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 has I dropped. Could, I could see our breath. Yep. <laughs> because it it was glorious today, and we worked up a sweat, and now I have four layers on, trying to manage the temperature a little bit. Um, but it, it, you know, as I think back to the day, well, we'll finish out um, the hunt, but. Towards the last hour, probably two of the most memorable moments that will happen on this trip happened for me, um, at least you know personally, um, and it relates to my dog. So we'll get to, we'll get to that. That's what that's what I'm gonna remember. Um, and whether or not that comes through, that that's kind of the joy that we all experience. So, um, all right. So we're 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 on the board. When we're coming to the, um, we're on the board coming out of the sorghum food plot with the walk down through the grass on the shelter belt, um, back towards the truck. So for all intents and purposes, most of us had sort of cashed it in and said, we pretty much walked this already. And Andrew is like, you know, there's a piece of grass here that on the shelter belt side that we haven't walked. Yep. So I, I suggested let's ride that hard edge. You know, anyone who's listened to us on this podcast before has like heard us lament the fact that these roosters love edge habitat, like mm-hmm. work the edges, mm-hmm. people. And so we did that towards a, a neighboring uh, property's cornfield. 
and uh, we were probably about halfway through the grass when, when Bob, you looked a little excited. <laughs> well, this is the first moment that was super mem- memorable for me. My, my young pup, Gitch, who has struggled to point, um, be honest. She's some good ones, some good days. Some, I mean, she's two years old, and I'm working with her. She went rock solid. And she stayed rock solid, steady to, to, to wing as a rooster got up when Aspen came through. And this was something I was super proud of. Aspen, a lab, comes through, flushes the bird on Gitchy's point, and Gitchy stayed true through the flush. Anyways, and uh, rooster got up and crossed in front of Logan, and Logan in the Maxis once again um, uh, did not miss, and, and Gitchy even brought that one back to me um so it was uh not, not too many uh points and retrieves with gitchy yet so that one was pretty special um then we worked our way back to the truck we chased some birds that we think escaped into the some private property and we made the the final push to um, the third piece of the the complex here and Jake, is this this a spot you've hunted before? So this is called the Henning Game Production Area, which is where we're recording right now. We're, we're sitting right in the parking area. Uh, the birds are singing around us. I mean, throughout the day, we've had flocks of waterfowl. We've chased a, a, a beautiful white-tailed deer, a big buck out mm-hmm. of uh, out of some grass. Um, walked through blue stem that what was what <laughs> six seven feet tall taller than us well andrew yeah. was commenting on that first field yeah where that rooster went down is right where it went down i was like like i could see that i'm five <laughs> foot i can't even see over the top of this grass he's like well it was right where i said it was gonna be I'm like i had no idea where that bird went i had her back <laughs> <laughs> anyways sorry to interrupt you no we had just kind of thought let's go see what that third spot looks like mm-hmm. and we'll make a decision when we get there whether we decide to you know call it a day or keep walking mm-hmm. and uh and this was a great spot to end our day on you know we hit another food plot uh right before we got to the food plot itself Andrew and I saw a rooster bail out mm-hmm. and kind of looked at each other thinking Here all we right go. we have arrived um and <laughs> and we didn't see any more birds in that you plot. guys did yeah well we did <laughs> we were yeah. on the wrong side <laughs> so we get sure. to the end of it and bob is talking about all these birds that were flying out and andrew and i are like we didn't see anything <laughs> i was on a nature walk my dog was like 90 yards on the other side i was just having a casual stroll through like we said that the, those food plots are tall i mean so we couldn't <laughs> see over there <laughs> i had a lane and i saw them boiling they were they were hundreds of yards ahead of us so i was in nowhere near shooting range I, although as most fo- there was a lot of grass between the end of the food plot and the lake and i was thinking there's going to be a sleeper bird and our dogs were going crazy in all that grass and i thought there'd be a sleeper bird and there wasn't and <laughs> so we get to the end and i you know hunter and i are other videographer we had seen all these birds fly to the right and i was like and andrew is on the far end is like okay we're going to go that way i was like and I said, Hunter, really? Did they not see the birds at other? We didn't. And you didn't see them. But <laughs> it, it, also, it was the point of conflict for me and Andrew once again. On Bob wants to go on a walkabout. Andrew wants to get back and do work. 
so it was the right decision to do <laughs> to go back and, and we walked a corn food plot kind of on a beeline straight back well but before we got into the corn food plot um, i had esky out and this was the other super memorable moment esky was rock solid on point just as staunch as ever and esky has some creepiness to her in other words sometimes she'll creep on birds especially if she sees a rough grouse in the woods she'll creep and blow it up but she was rock solid and I'm kicking the grass and kicking the grass and nothing and she relocates and rock solid on another patch and we're kicking the grass kicking the grass third time rock solid and I kick and and rooster like just unburies itself and comes out flying and that's a bird that so I pulled up and I dropped a leg on it and then you shot Jake and bird went sailing into the shelter belt and your your pup Jep came mm-hmm. out with that bird thankfully uh thankfully I I didn't uh, bring it to the ground but we didn't uh end up with another cripple getaway but it I was, was a GSP to GSP alley-oop yeah it was yeah yeah I was so I, I was really pleased Jep did great on the retrieve um because that bird had a lot of life when it was flying away from us. So I don't, did you, you were on the farthest end. Did you see how far that bird sailed? Yeah, I, I watched it. So it, I saw where it kind of crashed down and I'd, I had a good line on it. Um, Cause I wasn't going to let this one get away, but Jeff beat me to it for sure. Um, which is incredible that he even knew where to begin because mm. he was on the other side of the corn. He's right. just tra- tracking it through the, s- the sky, and that's just a giant hardwood lot. Mm-hmm. And somehow he was he was. So there did you retrieve it in the hardwoods? Yes, in it was the, in oh. the it was in the middle of the woods. So did it fall it, dead? It, it crashed into a tree in the middle of the woods. Okay, because neither of us had a great shot on that bird. Well, it was another one of those with. The camera guys and swinging behind and yeah. being safe and you know we well you can make all sorts of excuses but thankfully the dogs <laughs> saved our bacon on that one. i think so yeah when yeah. jep arrived at that bird i was thoroughly impressed i was like how did he know this thing was mm-hmm. gonna be right there like it's just incredible yeah yeah that so and, and that was the action and and when you think back on it you know it was a pretty action-filled day from bouncing around to bouncing around and all the photography and videography and just the tailgate shots and the amount of time we had in the field for the number of birds. Did you did you log how many birds we saw today? So we're going to have to estimate. Yeah, I mean, it was 11 in the first field alone, so probably another four. I'm just throwing, like, maybe four of the second field, yeah. four or five. And so let's say 15, 16, and then out of here, I mean, I have no idea how many you saw bubble up. I saw 12 bo- boiling yeah. out there. That's why I was yeah. so enthused yeah. to be going right instead of left. Um, but, yeah, I, I mean, and, and we heard lots of banging away. So other people were having success on this property too. Um, it, it's been a really, really good couple of days in South Dakota, dramatically um, different <laughs> weather conditions um jake tell us a little bit you got five months under your belt as south dakota regional rep um tell us a little bit about what's going on in the state um you know some of the chapter events that might mm-hmm. be coming up things that you want maybe maybe there's a community that really needs to have a chapter that doesn't right now so south dakota uh hosts you know probably 75 percent of their banquets in the fall 
and it really it's another thing that coincides with with the pheasant uh, opening weekend. Um, just in the last six nights alone, I've attended five banquets uh, throughout all corners of the state. Um, and you don't look like a zombie. Here you I, are. I'm surprised. I probably do <laughs> at about six a.m. But uh, it'll be good to get home tonight uh, mm. and sleep in my own bed. Um, so we're it's a busy banquet season right now. Uh, we have incredible volunteers all over the state. Um, just in the last ten days alone, those chapters collectively have, you know, raised a gross amount of over $600,000 mm. for mission delivery. Um, and we're not done with the with the month yet. We'll drive to another banquet tomorrow night. We'll uh, have, you know, a couple more here to, to close the month out. But heavy banquet season, uh, heavy learn-to-hunt event mm. season. Um, we had our first all-women's hunt, uh, which also was led by the group that uh, hopes to charter South Dakota's first women on the wing chapter by uh, the end of the year. Um, we're looking at where where is that destined to be? I think it will be hubbed out of Sioux Falls. Okay. Um, they already have fun events planned for uh, this winter. Um, it you throughout the state. If if you would like to be part of that chapter, and you live on the west side of the state, the northern part of the state, you can be a part of it. I believe that uh, most of their meetings will be held with an online option. So that anybody can can jump in. That's great. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great group of women that have put this together. Uh, they've got a great vision for the future. Um, so so we're starting chapters. We're mm-hmm. we're we're hosting learn to hunt uh, events. We're raising dollars for mission delivery. It's a busy season. So it's only been four and a half months. <laughs> Feels a little bit right now like it's been four and a half years. Uh, I'll take a little bit of time to to relax here once that busyness is done. So as a person brand new in a position like this, what's the single best thing that that you've encountered in your short time? What what makes you excited? You know, in that first week on the job, I was so impressed at the number of calls that I got right away from chapter leaders and chapter volunteers welcoming me aboard, off, you know, invitations extended to come to meetings or get together from all mm-hmm. corners of the, st- of the state to the point where, you know, I couldn't physically actually mm-hmm. say yes to everything. Um, the thing that stands out the most by joining the Pheasants Forever and Quill Forever team is definitely the organizational culture, the relationships already that have been formed with coworkers. Mm-hmm. Um, there is something remarkable about that that culture of our organization the talent that we have on this team, uh, I'm amazed by that, and I'm not just tooting everybody's horns here. Like it is, it is a cool group to be part of, mm. and I'm thankful for that. Um, I learn from everybody on this team, uh, and so I I can't wait to, you know, see what's in the in the future. Cool. If uh, folks want to learn more, maybe start a chapter, get involved with a chapter. How do they connect with you? Right now, probably the best way to to get a hold of me is either text message or email because okay. I'm I'm at banquets and events almost every day. So um, through, through phone calls, I get back as fast as I can. I have a lot of windshield time. Uh, <laughs> and I've run out of podcasts, so I'll listen to these <laughs> ones. And then I need somebody to call. Um, you know, my email, jhanson, hanson with an O, at pheasantsforever.org. Um, 
you know, and my primary number is printed in every uh, Pheasants Forever journal. It's on the Pheasants Forever website. Um, and Throw so it out there. 605-880-1659. Okay. And for folks that are listening and have the tradition to come to South Dakota for a pheasant hunt, speci- specifically around the opener, I recognize that this is airing after the opener, but you're listening to it now. One of the best things you can do is make plans when you come out to the pheasant opener in South Dakota next year to have that coincide with attending a Pheasants Forever chapter banquet in the community where you're staying. And they deliberately, our chapters deliberately do that to try to make it super festive and get people together and and celebrate this tradition that really is unlike any other state in the country when it comes to how enthusiastic they are around pheasant season in particular the the opener so you know if you're coming out here from wisconsin we've seen a ton of wisconsin plates minnesota plates indiana um i'm looking at connecticut plates although that's the rental i'm driving <laughs> um, but if you're uh coming out to south dakota next year please make a point of attending a pheasants forever chapter banquet and getting involved with the community that uh, is helping in many cases to create the better habitat and the public access that's so important to how much um, rooster action you see on a, on a daily basis. Uh, also want to give, uh, you can also find those banquets at pheasantsforeverevents.org. Um, all year long, any state, all the Quail Forever events will be there, mentor hunts, women on the wing events. Um, they're all at pheasantsforeverevents.org. Uh, thanks to our Rooster Road Trip partners, Browning, the official firearm and apparel manufacturer of Rooster Road Trip, Thoroughgood Boots, Sound Gear Hearing Protection, Ruffland Kennels, Federal Premium Ammunition, Garmin Electronic Dog Training Systems, South Dakota Tourism. Thank you very much for hosting us, South Dakota. And Apple Auto, the official Rooster Road Trip truck. Uh, Roosterroadtrip.org. Tell us about the membership promotion and that that Maxis from Browning that does not miss with it when it's in Logan's hands. Yep, I cannot and will not guarantee that you will not miss with it, but... You have a chance to actually win the same access that Logan has been shooting. Um, just go to roosterroadtrip.org and fill out the form. It's as simple as that. No strings attached. But while you're there, uh, please consider joining, renewing, or extending your membership. And if you do, you'll see a special offer on the landing page for a pretty legit browning fin and feather style knife with a sheath. Um, and that's also where you can find... Uh, more content, blogs, photo galleries, the videos that coincide with some of the stories you've heard here and uh, in the past. And uh, I guess you can hop on there right now and see if we do a good job of, of cooking up these pheasants. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, I did <laughs> fail to mention it in the intro because it's behind me as I turn. Uh, the Rooster Road Trip truck, uh, tailgate out. The rest of the crew is waiting for us to get the podcast over with. So, because everybody's getting a little bit chilled, and cast iron pan with pheasant simmering. Do you know what recipe they're using? 
I think whatever ingredients they found in the boxes that I brought. So probably bananas sh- and apples. No, probably shore <laughs> shore lunch or breadcrumbs. A little bit of oil, maybe an egg wash. I don't know. We'll we'll figure it out. <laughs> we are gonna go have a shore lunch pheasant style on the Terry Redland game production area, public land. This is your land. This is my land. This is our land. Thanks for joining the Rooster Road Trip. Please become a member at roosterroadtrip.org. We're going to go eat. And then tomorrow, we're going to go follow some dogs again. Because something good always happens when you follow those dogs. Thanks for listening, folks.